The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Joe Robinson, is a best-selling investigative journalist who has spent the past 15 years researching information on how we can restore vital nutrients to our fruits, vegetables, meat, eggs, and dairy products. Her first book, Pasture Perfect, looked into the benefits of raising animals on pasture and was featured everywhere from Sunset Magazine and the New York Times to the Wall Street Journal and NPR's All Things Considered. Joe Robinson is here on Health Watch today to talk about her new book, Eating on the Wild Side, The Missing Link to Optimum Health, which looks at ways we have bred the nutrients out of our fruits and vegetables and the smart nutritional choices we can make to bring them back in into our diet. Welcome to Health Watch, Joe Robinson. Oh, thank you. So the, according to your book, Eating on the Wild Side, the fruits and vegetables we eat today are far less nutritious than what our hunter-gatherer ancestors ate. Why is that the case? That was the main conclusion of my research, and I and I, um, I got the information by looking at um, over six thousand scientifically um, published journals. And why did we do it? We didn't mean to. Um, we started breeding out nutrition as soon as we became farmers, and that's you know that's twelve thousand years ago. Um, and wild plants, um, by and large, almost without exception, have far more minerals, vitamins. Um, fiber, and especially phytonutrients, these compounds that plants make to protect themselves, that when we eat those plants, they protect us from disease. Um, And why did we do it? Because a lot of the um, phytonutrients have a sour, bitter, or astringent taste. And as today, um, we were searching for food that was soft and starchy and sweet. Um, and because we were growing our own gardens, we could create the food of our dreams. So people don't realize that we've been breeding out this nutrition for 400 generations, not just two or three. And so if, if there's more nutrients in foods that are sour, bitter, or astringent, why were things set up so that uh, we prefer a different flavor that is less nutritious? I mean, in terms of um, in ter- our physiology? In terms of physiology. Yeah, it makes complete sense. If you think about yourself all of a sudden being in a national forest somewhere far away from civilization, and you, you know, you're know, you hiking, you need a lot of calories, just like hunter-gatherers did so many years ago, and you look around and you don't see um, highly concentrated forms of sugar or salt or oils. Um, and we would not have survived. We would not have gotten the calories that we needed to fuel this lifestyle if we hadn't been given these terrific brain rewards, these, these feel-good chemicals, for eating the, the, the sweetest, saltiest, richest food in the environment, which was not all that salt, you know, <laughs> salty, rich, or um, fat compared with what we eat today. Um, now we still have the same chemical reward system that rewards us for eating um, you know, these luscious foods, even though we're completely overburdened with them. So in other words, our physiology is exactly the same, but we've never should have, we never would have anticipated that we would have so much access to these sweet and starchy foods. We had no way of knowing what we were doing, actually, until what was like when my father was born in 1912. We didn't even know any vitamins. Um, 
and uh, this the phytonutrient research, which is so important um, to uh, having a healthy lifestyle, it really got its you know it's really started going 15 years ago. Um, so, not knowing that choosing these sweet, low fiber foods um, was really disadvantageous to our health, there was no way to to not do it. So I mean, there, there was every reason to do it, and no reason to preserve these more nutritious but less, you know, toothsome foods. So, so give us some examples, Joe, that are. Uh, the differences between some wild varieties and some domestic varieties of fruits or vegetables and, and how much more nutritious yeah. one is versus the other. Yeah. Um, the really stark example is the difference between um, wild apples and the ones in the supermarket. So wild apples, um, like I'm growing one right now, that has a 100 times more antioxidants than the Golden Delicious, which is our most popular apple. That's a huge difference. Um, we love our berries, and they're great for us, but wild berries are, have two to three times more anthocyanins, um, which are one of the most important phytonutrients that protects almost every aspect of our health from um, our brain. It helps um, lower the risk of dementia and preserve cognition as we age, and it, it helps detox things in the liver and helps prevent cancer and cardiovascular disease. And we have, um, we've, over the ages, we have bred berries to be less nutritious than they used to be. So one of my favorite parts in eating on the wild side is in each chapter you give some suggestions and charts about what to choose when we go shopping because some of the different varieties of of domestic fruits and vegetables are closer to their wild relatives. So you mentioned, for instance, that the Granny Smith apple is is one of the better domestic varieties for for nutrition. Right. And this was the second conclusion on my research is that we still have some varieties that are as good for us as wild ones, but we just don't know which ones they are. So that was the second part of my research. And um, so a Granny Smith, as you mentioned, is... Uh, has three times more antioxidants than that Golden Delicious. And uh, Fuji is another good one, and um, Braeburns and Galas. And um, interestingly, Honeycrisp, which is a sweeter apple, is as good for us as the tart Granny Smith. So it's not always the case that the tartar, um, more bitter food is better for us. Sometimes very sweet food um, is better for us. Um, like very ripe berries, uh, ripe strawberry, which we never get in the stores anymore, has twice as many anthocyanins as the half-ripe ones um, that they, you know, <clears throat> that they now are now available in most stores. So, um, it, you really, what I discovered is you need a shopping list. You need to know exactly which varieties are delicious. It's important to me that our food be delicious, but also um, highly nutritious. And they're everywhere in the supermarket. That was very important to me to discover. Well, it, still it, here. it's interesting about the idea that, in, it, not in every case, but that sour and bitter foods tend to have a lot of these uh, phytonutrients in them. Right. And when you look at traditional diets, say like in Ayurvedic tradition or in Chinese medicine, bitter and sour are very much part of the whole palate of how people ate. And it doesn't seem like we've we've retained that in our own culture in terms of, 
either being familiar with those flavors or wanting to include them in a, in a typical diet. Yes, and here's, here's something interesting. Um, about 25% of the population um, is very sensitive to bitter flavors and reject them. And people who produce food today and, as you know, processed food especially, they're not going to have these bitter flavors if they know that 25% of the consumers are going to reject them out of hand. Um, so we have these very mild, very sweet fruits and vegetables and certainly processed foods um, because nobody wants to lose that 25%. But those of us who appreciate bitterness, um, we're the winners because, you know, we have that full range of palate that, that you're talking about and our health benefits as a result. And, and one of the, the greens that you, you triumph in the, in the book is arugula, speaking of bitter. Can you, can you tell us why arugula is such a superior green to use in, in yes, salads? Yes, as is true for many of the ones that I recommend. They were domesticated very recently, about 1850, which is really recent in terms of agriculture, in terms of our 12,000-year history. Um, in European countries, they began to be to eat domesticated varieties instead of wild ones. And you know, in the United States, arugula is a you know pretty new green for us, and we haven't had a ch- had time to uh, to get rid of the nutrients either. And interestingly, it's not bitter; it's spicy, a little bit hot. And uh, many people love it and crave it, and some people really hate it. But if you love arugula, it's one of the best greens in the store. In case you just tuned in, we're talking today with Joe Robinson about her book, Eating on the Wild Side, The Missing Link to Optimum Health. So, Joe, you, you talk about herbs as being wild plants in disguise. Can you, can you tell us what you mean? Yeah, think about it for a minute. We, we have not bred our herbs to be bland and sweet um, because we've valued them for their intense flavor because we use them as flavor accents to our food. So they're they're pretty much the way they are in the wild. We can grow oregano in our gardens that is just like as good as the wild oregano that grows in Greece. Um, But what I recommend is that there's some uh, herbs that you can eat in quantity. Uh, Rosemary's too intense, sage is too intense, but parsley and cilantro and basil. Um, I mean, I just finished a wonderful breakfast of eggs from pastured hens with um, just completely um, sprinkled with um, parsley and coriander. Um, and that's what I recommend people do is eat as much of these as they can. Put When you're making a green salad, add a lot of chopped parsley. Um, it's not just a garnish. It shouldn't be a garnish anymore. It should be a key part of what we eat. Well, we have a call um, off the air about the time between getting the food in the store and actually eating the food. And, and that's one of the areas in, in your book, Eating on the Wild Side, that I really liked too, was you talking about which foods retain their nutritive value and for how long. Can you talk a little bit more about um, some of the foods that we need to eat quicker when they're in our vegetable crisper yes, and, and, and which foods can last longer in the refrigerator? Yes, and this is information that's also only 10 or 15 years old because what happens when plants are harvested, um, they, they're not dead. They continue to respire or breathe, and that breathing uses up their antioxidants and their natural sugars. And some of it, 
some plants do this very rapidly, and they happen to be our most nutritious foods. This, this was a real surprise to me. But listen to this list. These are, are vegetables and fruits that you should eat within one, two, or three days of harvest, which means you can't get them in the supermarket or most supermarkets that are that fresh. You have to go to a farmer's market or grow them yourself. So um, artichokes, arugula, asparagus, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cherries, kale, lettuce, parsley, raspberries, green onions, spinach, and strawberries. They're what I call eat-me-first fruits and vegetables. Um, and uh, we, someone did this great experiment with, bro- with broccoli that, has, that they got from the supermarket, so it had probably been harvested about three weeks ago. Um, they fed it to animals that... Um, they also gave the animals a chemical which normally pr- produces cancer. They gave them this aged broccoli, which we consider fresh because it's in the produce section, and they had no protection against cancer. But if they gave them fresh broccoli, um, they didn't develop any tumors at all. So brand new information about what our system of you know huge central farms and California and uh, long shipping and storing in the warehouse is doing to our health. Well, it's it's at least good news that growing parsley or thyme or some of these greens like arugula is relatively simple compared to some other things. Very easy. And if you only have a small garden, um, grow an herb garden. Um, it's going to give you, you know, the most phytonutrients per square inch. So are there foods that can last longer in the refrigerator that we can be less concerned about? Oh, yes. Apples, for example. Um, But apples, we don't want to store on the counter. We don't want them to be at room temperature. If you want apples to last and to keep um, their antioxidant activity and their great flavor, they need to go in the crisper drawer of your refrigerator at the coldest setting and the highest humidity. If you do that, they'll store for weeks and have maintained their quality and that crunch and the antioxidants. Um, Potatoes are great storage vegetables. They don't breathe very quickly, so they don't burn through their antioxidants and sugar. Um, And, you know, so most root crops also store well. And would, I'm assuming we could leave the potatoes at room temperature or do yeah, those they, they actually like to be cold chilled um we used to have root cellars which were perfect we don't have them anymore and it's it's really hard to find the temperature that a lot of onions and garlic and potatoes like to stay at like in 50 degrees or 40 degrees in our you know our modern um households um so you want to store them in the coldest place you have it could be a basement it could be a garage um and they will taste better, last longer. Well, I loved some of the food preparation uh, information that you provide in the book as well. Like you talk about uh, how it's good to tear the lettuce into pieces before putting it in the crisper, for instance. Tell tell us what that is about. Yeah, I I ran into so much information that just is bizarre, but scientifically proven. And the lettuce um, trick that you talked about is one of them. Here's what happens. You've got this lettuce, and as I mentioned before, it's harvested, but it's still alive. And when you tear it, it thinks that it's being browsed by an elk or a cow or insects, and it's going to um, right away produce more phytonutrients because it's going to 
protect them the next time from the next you know invasion of these munching animals or insects insects so um you put it overnight in the refrigerator and it's growing it's producing more of these great phytonutrients so iceberg lettuce which is very low in nutrition and um romaine which is not much better you do this trick and they have four times the antioxidants than in 24 hours that's so strange and one of the weirder ones was around berries, which are pretty healthy to begin with, but actually canning makes them more healthy. It does. People don't realize that there are certain families of phytonutrients, including these anthocyanins, which are so protective. They get better for us when you cook them. Another one is lycopene. Um, people, many people have heard of this. It's linked with a lower risk of heart attack and stroke. The longer you cook tomatoes, which are one of our best sources of lycopene, the better it is for you. So that wonderful um, spaghetti sauce that you simmer for three hours is better for you than a fresh tomato. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to investigative journalist and author Joe Robinson about her latest book, Eating on the Wild Side, The Missing Link to Optimum Health. So what about frozen food? Uh, are there foods that freeze particularly well or particularly poorly? Yeah, the good news is that berries freeze very well because they've developed this um, flash freezing technique that preserves the uh, the nutrients, but there's a problem, and the problem is how we thaw them Um, because the longer it takes for these berries to thaw, like let's say you thaw them in the refrigerator, it might take 24 hours to thaw them, or on the counter it might take three or four hours. And all the time that that thawing process goes on, there's this enzyme called polyphenol oxidase that is chewing up, eating up, destroying the antioxidants. So you want a really fast freeze and a fast thaw, and the best fast thaw is in your microwave. Oh, interesting. And, and there's a lot of conflicting research on on organic versus conventional, or maybe another way to put that is there hasn't been a ton of good research on it. Can you tell us what we know about the nutritional components to uh, organic produce versus conventional? Yes. It's, it's, you know, I was disappointed in this research, but uh, an analysis, meta-analysis of hundreds of studies shows that raising um, an, uh, fruits and vegetables organically versus conventionally only gives a small boost in nutrition and sometimes not at all, and worse yet, in some of these studies, the ones that were raised conventionally with, you know, pesticides and conventional fertilizers had more nutrients than, than raised organically. And it's for complicated reasons that I won't go into. But what I learned is it's not how the, the fruits and vegetables are raised, but the varieties themselves, the genetics of the individual plants that makes a difference. So here's an example. You could take uh, and raise a uh, Um, let's say, a Golden Delicious or a Pink Lady apple organically, it's never going to have as much nutrients as the the Honeycrisp and the Gala that's raised conventionally. But but I want to hurry to say that for me, organic production is the bottom line. I've been an organic gardener for probably 40 years now, And I think that's the only way we should raise food. But if we're looking for maximum nutrition, we want to pick specific varieties and raise them organically. And for the gardeners out there, are there 
particular places you go for seeds of older, wilder varieties of vegetables and fruit? Yes. Um, in, in my book, I want to say to gardeners is that you will find out exactly what to plant in next year's garden, foods that are most delicious and nutritious. And so I, I went through all these journals to find this information. You won't find it anywhere else at this time. Um, but to find the ones I recommend, um, the best way to do it is simply to Google the names of those fruits and vegetables, and just with that, the fruit and vegetable with the word seeds, and you will find good sources. Sometimes it's a conventional um, garden catalog, even burpees. Um, sometimes it's territorial seeds or high mowing seeds or the seed exchange, you know, less um, less common ones. And sometimes um, you just order them individually on Amazon. So you can find them, but you need to, for many of them, you need to simply run an Internet search for them. So in your last book, Joe, uh, Pasture Perfect, where you, you looked at uh, meat eating and, and older ways of raising animals on grass rather than on grain. Do you see this as an extension of that in a sense, as in a call towards going back to more traditional ways of, of raising food? Absolutely. It's, um, it's, it's the very same story. Um, but I want to emphasize I'm not talking about traditional foods the way most people are. I'm talking about wild foods. Because let's say this culture might have had, you know, from 500 years ago eating a particular fruit or vegetable, that we've been breeding nutrients out by that time for thousands of years. So to get the best ones, we need to go back to wild ones. And because the wild ones are no longer here, we have to shop and buy and plant what I call wild equivalents, which are varieties that are still... um, available to us, but go, go way back to our original food. So, go ahead. Uh, so Michael Pollan talks a lot about, more about going back to traditional foods than the right. wild foods, but he also talks about some of the shortcomings of nutritional science today. Part of the reason why it seems to always be changing is because we, we don't ha- it's really hard to do science on nutrition. How much faith can we have on looking at antioxidants, for instance, as a marker for health. I know like for, we see if you have more vitamin C in your diet that you are a generally healthier person, but if you take vitamin C as a supplement, it doesn't give you the same effects, right. for instance. So can we really count on these phytonutrient assays as being good markers for healthier food? It, you know, this is a very young science, and it's important to have a dose of skepticism with anything that's 15 years old. Um, but first of all, I'm not recommending supplements. That's not the way to go. You want whole foods because, you know, vitamin C, let's just think of um, an orange. We know that it's relatively high in vitamin C, but in terms of antioxidant activity, the vitamin C provides only 0.04% of it. It's the other phytonutrients in oranges that are providing most of the health benefits. So we we don't want to eat an abstraction. We don't want to eat an extract. We want to eat the whole uh, fruit or vegetable. Now, in terms of the work that I've done and the science behind it, I have found over, I'm not sure the exact number right now, 
um, but it's about 75 um, human studies, human random, you know, randomized clinical trials, which is the gold standard of research, using the whole foods that I recommend, these, these exceptional varieties that are high in phytonutrients, and have found really remarkable health benefits. So test tube studies, animal studies, and now human studies are all lining up in the same direction showing that eating certain high phytonutrient varieties and the ones that I recommend in particular um, could greatly reduce our risk of the main diseases that plague us today. And that's, you know, the old litany of cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, obesity, and dementia. These are main killers. Hunter-gatherers did not have those diseases, and they ate wild, you know, wild food exclusively. And now we've got clinical trials showing that you can eat, you know, other foods, you know, this typical American diet, and add these high phytonutrient fruits and vegetables to it and see really good health benefits. And some of the things, the swap outs are pretty simple, like eating yellow corn versus white corn or eating purple potatoes rather than white potatoes. Yes, but... um, you know, yellow, the problem with the, with the corn in our supermarkets right now is it's super sweet. Um, wild corn is 30% protein and 2% sugar. And the ones in our supermarket are 4% protein, not 30, and up to 40% sugar. So even though it's yellow corn, um, which has beta carotene in it, and so it's a dark yellow variety, it's still as sweet and, and boosts your blood sugar as much as eating a Snickers bar. Um, so much of our food is like that. The Golden Delicious, very sweet, low in phytonutrients, as I mentioned. And in one study, a group of men at high risk for cardiovascular disease were given one Golden Delicious apple a day versus a group of similar men who had continued on their regular diet well, these men who had one apple a day of the wrong variety, we now know, increased the risk of cardiovascular disease over a two-month period. They had higher VLDL cholesterol, the worst kind that, that promotes um, cardiovascular disease, and high triglycerides, which are also linked with a higher risk of heart attack and stroke. So we've, when we've added all this sugar and bred out the nutrients, we can't do a random walk through the produce aisles and get food that's good for us. We really need to be savvy shoppers. Well, I'm sure we've piqued a lot of listeners' interest today, Joe. Can, can, do you have a website where people can read more about uh, eating I on the do. wild side? It's eatwild.com. It's mostly the animal research um, that's there right now. And when, I'm, when I have more time, I'm going to be um, adding all the fruits and vegetables. They can also follow me on Twitter at eatwild. Um, and, and you also had that great New York Times uh, article that is, I think, an excerpt from the book. Yes, and it's now a New York Times bestseller. Um, last I looked, it was number nine in, in, um, on Amazon in terms of all book sales. So you should be able to find it pretty much anywhere. Well, it's a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Joe. I enjoyed it. Thank you. We're talking today with Joe Robinson, bestselling investigative journalist and author about her book, Eating on the Wild Side, The Missing Link to Optimum Health. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. If you enjoyed this episode of Health Watch, there's a simple thing you can do to help spread the word. Please take a moment and go to Health Watch in your iTunes podcast store 
leave us a starred rating, and write us a customer review. Thanks so much for your help. I'll see you next week.